What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Bill Pulte is CEO of Pulte Capital. In this conversation, we discuss Twitter philanthropy, inner city blight, building companies, and inspiring others to be kind and generous. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Skirt, skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right, Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, motherfucking mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell him Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit Crypto.com. Pomp's got you always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry. Your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you got to do is go to CoinMine.com. You buy a coin mine. It's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right. You purchase it. It shows up at your doorstep. You pull it out of the box. You plug it in. Connect to your Wi-Fi. Five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide. And then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just your update in your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com. Tell them Pomp set you and thank me later. As many of you know, crypto investors store their digital assets on exchanges or in cold storage for long-term safekeeping. However, this strategy doesn't help them grow their investment holdings or build overall wealth. With the new BlockFi interest account, users can now securely store their Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. 6% is an absurdly high rate. It's the best rate in the industry. I highly suggest you go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, that's BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning crypto today. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I am here with uh, Bill Pulte. Um, As many of you know, he's been doing some pretty inspiring work uh, on Twitter, uh, essentially just giving away money um, and uh, and trying to inspire some people. So uh, you you came to New York City uh, to record this. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. um, And I think that people are really going to enjoy this. So uh, you've got a... uh, a different story than most people um, in that you somehow ended up giving out money on Twitter. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, you're born in Florida, and kind of how do you get from there to, uh, to what you're doing today? Yeah, born in Boynton Beach, Florida. Grew up in Boca Raton. My whole family was from Michigan, uh, so kind of had the northern Midwestern blood, but lived in Florida. And I think, you know, Florida gave me a great perspective. My father was a big uh, home builder down there, so luxury homes is what my dad builds. My grandfather built production homes. What's, I didn't, what's the difference between those two? Well, production is, you know, when you're building one to, let's say, 3,000 homes at a time. Uh, you Got know, when you're, when you're building many homes, uh, you're having subdivisions, those kind of things. My dad was building, you know, $10 million to $70 million homes 
you know, on the southeast shore of Florida. So, you know, I knew enough about building to be dangerous, but I didn't have maybe the design talent that my grandfather had. And so I had a bunch of different interests than my dad and my grandfather. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, grew up down there, learned the business, then went to school and went from there. And uh, where'd you go to school? Northwestern. All right. And uh, I know the answer. Uh, you studied journalism there. I did. What, what was driving the interest in uh, in journalism and kind of media? You know, I've always been fascinated by the fact that you can do things in mass. One of the things that, you know, my grandfather really taught me, I think my grandfather really taught me how to think. Um, and I was very close with him. Uh, he died when he was 85. So I had the benefit really of knowing him from, let's call it 78 to 85. And he really taught me about, you know, mental prisons, how to think differently, that there's no such word as can't. And so, you know, I was always fascinated in broadcasting that basically you could reach a lot of people very quickly with an idea mm -hmm. and that you could, you know, mobilize people in numbers. And I think that's why I was so interested in it. Now, having said that, I realized that um, my family wasn't going to enable me. One of the things my father did was he had me work from a young age on job sites, literally cleaning out behind porta potties, uh, to teach me the value of a dollar. That was something he was very intent on. And so I knew when I graduated from college that my, my father would basically say, hey, look, Billy, that's what they call me. That's what they did call me. Uh, you know, Billy, you got to go out and you got to make your own living. Mm -hmm. And so... I said, well, if that's the case and, you know, I, I want to be able to do as much as I can long term, I got to go out and make money. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I pivoted into business. Got it. And, and uh, what's your take on kind of the state of journalism media today, right? It, it's a unique perspective to have kind of been trained as a young kid in business and home building, go in and, and study in a more kind of classical or academic uh, environment media. And then today, uh, I'll call you a citizen journalist to some degree, sure, um, because you're leveraging some of these platforms. That yeah, I say in many ways, what we are doing is journalism. I mm -hmm. mean, basically, what we do is there are people all throughout the country that have you know crises that are in need, and we need to get that message out to people. Because mm -hmm. my experience has been, especially the last eight weeks, when somebody's in crisis and you can communicate that properly to people, mm -hmm. people want to help. I mean, people, we're all human beings at the end of the time. We have all these constructs. You know, we're here in New York City. There's a big building. You know, we get caught up in all these, you know, physical things that in my mind are just, uh, you know, inventions of the mind. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we forget that feeling, that human interaction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what I think is so important for what we're doing. Got it. So before we get into the Twitter philanthropy stuff. Sure. Um, you go from the studying journalism to today, you've got kind of two separate bodies of work with Pulte Capital and then uh, the inner city blight uh, work that you're doing. Maybe give us an overview of both of those different bodies of work. Well, because I knew I had to make my own money out of college, I went and worked for somebody else, learned how to buy companies. Mm -hmm. And then I went out and I raised a lot of money from a bank. Uh, which I was very fortunate to have happen. Um, and, you know, it didn't actually have to do with my family. It was actually a big bank. They lent me five and three quarters million bucks, a bank did, because I had a really good business. Mm -hmm. Went out, bought that business, and then slowly but surely just, you know, worked my you-know-what off. And uh, <laughs> that was definitely interesting being a young guy, having people who were older than me and whatnot. But after, frankly, making a lot of mistakes, uh, I was able to go out and buy other companies mm -hmm. and, you know, fortunately I've been able to make, you know, a lot of money, you know, mm -hmm. tens and tens of millions of dollars on my own, mm -hmm. uh, independent from my family. And so that 
you know, experience in business and making money is partially why I got involved in inner city blight. You know, as I started making money, I started saying to myself, you know, one of the things that my grandfather had taught me in terms of how to think was really that, you know, things can be solved and it's just often how we're thinking about the problem. Mm -hmm. And so I can get an inner city blight if you want, but basically how I think about the inner cities is that these are the forgotten people of the United States. Um, in many cases, they're large African-American populations. And, you know, many politicians, Republicans and Democrats, just go there when they need, you know, votes and those kind of things. But meanwhile, if you go into these inner city neighborhoods, there's abandoned buildings, there's trash, there's debris. Nobody should live like that in America. And I actually drove through Detroit when I was, I don't know, 24, I think. And I was so pissed to see how some of these kids were walking to school. I mean, I could just feel it viscerally. I was just angry, you know? And I said, there's no reason, you know, I mean, I grew up in a home building family and I grew up with my dad building these exquisite things that were like pieces of art. And meanwhile, we can't tear down this piece of crap that's, you know, scaring the living hell out of a girl who walks to school every day. She's mm -hmm. afraid she's gonna get raped in Detroit. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. So that's really what got me, you know, fired up about it. And I pitched my grandfather on it because, you know, I knew that he knew how to think about things differently. And he says, Billy, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> uh, he said, I'd stay far away from that. He says, all those politicians are crooked. You know, I remember, I remember the exact phone call. I called him back two weeks later. I said, we got to do this. I said, this is just crazy. Detroit's got 30,000 abandoned homes. We got to do something. And so we went and pitched the mayor, and I can tell you more about that. But Got it. So, so before we get into the blight stuff, um, the companies that you're uh, buying and selling and, and kind of running, uh, any specific industry focus there or, or interest or just yeah. looking for sustainable, profitable businesses? All in building products, home building products. Um, I've done very well in heating and air conditioning. Mm -hmm. um, and these are service businesses or more These products? are mostly service businesses. The one business that I have is a countertop business. It's a manufacturer, mm -hmm. um, which is a challenging, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, manufacturers in many cases can be tougher than service businesses. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had experience in both of those. Got it. I, uh, I've got a friend who um, he, he's built a pretty nice business going and acquiring a lot of these service providers. Uh, and what he looks for is he looks for uh, trade-based service companies. And uh, he says, you know, the, the one thing that the machines, the algorithms, the software will never be able to do is lay the electrical wires. Right? Yeah, that's exactly you know, right. That, that type of stuff. And, well, and see, so I took the approach, you know, in school, a lot of other people wanted to go learn technology and they wanted to go start at the next Silicon Valley thing. You know, I'd been kind of trained in that blue collar, uh, you know, builder trade mentality, you know, sweeping out floors and homes. That's kind of my DNA. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I knew that there was inherent value in doing that. And to your point, you know, at least now robots and technology can't replace those things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, meanwhile, you know, here I am 24 years old, everybody's going into app development and web development. And then boom, here I am, you know, looking like a total knucklehead. I'm saying in terms of when I first started yeah. out, my mm -hmm. friends all thinking, you know, you're leaving, you know, finance to go do this. And I went and bought these heating and air conditioning companies. And mm -hmm. it turns out I'm pretty good at owning an air conditioning company because it's just people. Yeah. And, and it's just treating people right and frankly getting them out of their mental prisons to help grow those businesses and we've been very successful at doing that it, it, it's funny because a lot of the uh, aspects you deal with in those companies it, it is uh, one people like you said but two it's customer service it's being on time right it, it, it's pretty simply understood things 
they're just really hard to execute because you have to be disciplined, right? You, you really have to make sure that uh, the experience that you're delivering for the person on the end uh, of the service is up to the standard because most of your competitors probably aren't. That's correct. Right? And today's day and age, obviously, things are so short. You have so quick to get people's attention span that you know a bad service experience immediately will make its way into a Google review. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things. My companies all have great Google reviews. I mean, it's like you know we want to make sure we are interacting with the customer perfectly as you know as, as we as humanly can. can yeah and, and so um let's transition to the uh the inner city blight because one of the reasons when i first saw um you doing this and i should tell folks that uh so i had heard of uh bill um because i, I believe one of my partners mark yusko is your dad's college roommate is that right i don't know if they were roommates, roommates but definitely friends. friends yeah okay so they're friends in college and and he had told me uh, about you and your family and everything but but we'd never met and uh one day i see him start tweeting a bunch and, and start paying attention uh and so when i looked and saw the inner city blight stuff the thing that immediately struck in my head was if you change someone's environment, you can change the person, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that you're talking about some of this with their mindset. And, and if you literally take somebody out of uh, a dire situation, you then put them uh, in a situation where the environment looks different, the people they're surrounded with, right? The people they spend their time with, the expectations change, etc. cetera. Um, and to me, it feels like that's some of what you're doing here, but you're attacking the problem rather than just taking people out of the environment. You're saying, look, that's actually, right. let's just improve the environments that's right i mean a lot of people focus on like education in inner cities great cause 100 percent. we need more of it but at the end of the day if kids can't walk to school safely because they're afraid of getting dragged into these abandoned buildings and raped that's a problem and so that's really where i focused on it pomp and when we go in and we knock down these abandoned buildings what happens is the morale of people i mean it's almost like that you become in a psychological toxic prison in some of these neighborhoods and you're surrounded by these homes and you just you can feel just how Mm -hmm. you know how it is and you're just like you know how can anybody feel good about themselves when they're waking up with a fire burnt structure and they don't know whether that structure some people have a structure next to them. They think it's going to fall on their house every day. These people wait. I mean, this is in America. Yeah. I mean, I've had veterans tell me that it's, you know, better in some cases in Iraq than it is in some of these neighborhoods. That can't happen. And so what we do is we fundamentally go in. We got 10 blocks in 10 days gone of blight in Detroit. So let's talk about the very first one, right? So my understanding is uh, you guys go to uh, it's the mayor of Detroit, I yeah, think. Yeah, Mayor right? Bing. Right. And, yep. and what was the pitch to the mayor uh, on kind of the first uh, effort? Well, the previous mayor before him had gone to jail, actually, for uh, siphoning demolition funds and other things, I think. And so we went into him and we said, look, you know us, you know, we're the Pulteys. We know what we're doing. Uh, Let us go into a 10 block area Mm -hmm. and let us do it. And, you know, they talked about the different things, the racial components, these type of things, which I've gotten, you know, very good at understanding. And, you know, because, you know, this is where people live, too. You know, you've got to be very you got to work with the community. The community Mm -hmm. is is who is most important. It's the same thing. uh, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates, they say all the time that one of the biggest lessons they've learned in in their philanthropic efforts, right, which um, what you're doing is kind of a public private partnership type model. But uh, if you don't have the buy in of the community, whether Forget it's in it. you know, some city where you're trying to put literally mosquito uh, nets all the way to just remove blight from their community. Uh, if you don't have their buy-in, you know, you're basically fighting an uphill battle that you probably won't win. That's right. Right. And, so, okay. and who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, unless you've got some nefarious intent to build there or something else, which obviously I don't. But, you know, if you're doing it for the right altruistic reasons, engaging with the community is what you want to do in your heart, and it mm-hmm. leads to a better outcome. 
Yep. So you guys say, okay, look, there's a 10 block area we want to go into. And uh, literally, we're just going to knock down the structures that are uh, less desirable. We're going to kind of clean up all the brush and, and, and the blight uh, and then just remove it. Is that kind of the well, we, pitch? we ask the community what they want. So in most cases, when you go into these neighborhoods, they say, oh, you know, that house is a crack house. That house is a prostitution house. Oh, see the see those, uh, uh, you know, brush and debris over there that's where a prostitute lives i mean this is literally what happens mm-hmm. when we go into these areas so yes very quickly we identify you know where are the prostitutes where are the drug addicts and whatnot my biggest thing is that i work with in that case the mayor but then i have to go and i get the governor involved i mean it's almost like you know in some ways you're you know you're you're you know almost like a you have to build politician, you're a yeah, yeah, governor, yeah. Or, you know, you're almost like a government and, you know, you have to know how to do all that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you get the mayor and you get the governor and you get the county and you tell them all, Hey, look, you guys got to play ball here. There are real human beings who are suffering in these areas. Mm-hmm. And usually when I'm involved, they all start to play nice. So we identify the structures, mm-hmm. we get everybody to play nice. We get the proper permitting, we get the job done. Got it. And, and, um, part of this is, uh, as on that last step, that execution of getting the job done, it's not just, hey, here's a bunch of out-of-towners who walk in and they're going to kind of tear apart our community and, and remove these structures, No, we hire the locals. You, you actually And we try to give them careers. So, for yep. example, a guy named Taryn Score, great guy, learned how to do asbestos removal, uh, environmental removal. He's now actually has a full-time job. He lived within this perimeter, um, you know, had no job, and we're going in there and trying to do that. So we try to make it a win-win, but this is fundamentally transforming neighborhoods. We went into the city of Pontiac, Michigan, mm-hmm. at 900 structures when I showed up there. By the end of this year, we think we'll have zero structures that are abandoned in the city of Pontiac. We will have eliminated wow. with the mayor. She did all the work, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were great partners, but... Um, we knocked down, she didn't do all the work, but we all, you know, we're all partners. We, we knocked down with them 900 plus abandoned buildings. Uh, property values are up. If you would have put $1 million in when we first started, today it'd be worth $7 million, according to some uh, research house. Wow. Violent crime in the city of Pontiac, big area for murders and stuff historically, is down 38% since our blight removal efforts. Mm-hmm. So what I'm talking about is fundamentally transforming inner cities, and we've done it. You hear a lot of talk and that kind of stuff. This model can work. And, and would you agree that it's less expensive to remove the blight than it would be to let's say build new things right like from a cost perspective it's more efficient to remove bad stuff than well you have to, to remove to that stuff. stuff before you even build right mm-hmm. like let's say it's like four steps like step four is building or something like that step one is get rid of the trash and the crap and the debris mm-hmm. i mean it's like in your own home like you know oh you're gonna have a dinner party which would be the equivalent of like you know building something well you can't have anybody over if you just a bunch of crap everywhere mm-hmm. and and so what we're doing is going into the community and saying hey look we know the government's failed you in these aspects we're going to partner with the government you know be nice and let's just get rid of these buildings what's been or debris or boats i mean we found 12 boats can you believe that 12 boats in one perimeter in detroit people just dump stuff white suburbanites and i love them you know because i love everybody but you know they come in and they dump this stuff it's Mm -hmm. terrible Mm -hmm. these people should be arrested yeah. Well, and what's been the historical challenge to getting this stuff cleaned up? Is it a, a government inefficiency? Is it just people don't care so they don't even try? Or what's been the challenge as you've kind of learned more about this? I think it's, you know, having a very good, competent leader who can mm-hmm. get everybody to work together and play ball. Mm-hmm. You know, the good news is in terms of this model is some uh, 
some people are already doing this model pretty good because they have good good leadership. Mm-hmm. So I think you know good leadership leads to that. There's many cities in the United States that are making a good impact, and mm-hmm. we're looking at just maybe kind of supercharging what they're doing. For sure. Um, and, and before we move on from this, just talk about so. When you go and you identify these structures, right, you walk into a community and they say, hey, that's the crack house, right? And it's some sort of um, less desirable structure. What's the actual process of removing it? Do you go in with like the wrecking ball? Do you go with, you know, 10 people in sledgehammers? Like how do you actually take down a structure and, and remove the debris? It's a great question. What's so unique about our model is the government has historically gone, you know, kind of scattershot. So they do one home in one area of the, of the, of the city. Then they do another home. Then they do another home. And it'd be all over the map. Mm-hmm. What we've done is because we're very experienced in home building and in production building, we, we've come up with economies of scale. So we go into that specific area and we concentrate the demolitions. And by doing that, we get economies of scale. Why? And we just did this in St. Louis. Jack Dorsey and I, founder of Twitter, just went into St. Louis and we cleaned up a perimeter. And literally, if you were there at the press conference, you'd see this big yellow truck and you'd see two homes. And then, and then behind it, you'd see two other homes. Well, you don't need to pay a guy to go out there to knock down one structure and then knock down another structure. No, you use that same truck or that same tractor and you go and knock them down and you get that efficiency so you know in terms of the permitting what we try to do is maybe be a little bit more different than the government the government says oh we're only going to knock down and i'm just generalizing in most cases says we're not going to knock it down if somebody else owns the property we say we don't give a damn who owns the property these things need to come down so we'll go up to mr smith or mrs smith and we'll say hey you know mr mrs smith you can keep property ownership we did this actually in st louis and, and we said we'll pay you know charitable nonprofit for the demolition you keep the property mm-hmm. and it's kind of a win-win got it and, and you keep talking about the permitting what mm-hmm. what does that process look like because i think a lot of people when they see this like oh you, how hard could it be you just pull up and knock down the structure i'm sure that there's a pretty arduous process that you go through to, to be allowed to do this maybe just talk a little bit about you that. have to look out for property ownership i mean you know there's, there's laws and so um really the cities who've done it well is they try to notify the owners and tell them look you know, you're leaving your building burned or abandoned or, you know, decrepit and it's harming people. You go through a process. Some cities at our urging have created what's called the blight court, which is basically where you can put these things through and, you know, foreclose, you know, and the government can foreclose on them. I mean, these aren't these aren't people living in these homes. These are yeah. these are inv- speculative investors who don't give a damn about the people living in the area. Mm-hmm. So the city goes in and they 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 do the right thing, which is either get get it or get the ability to knock it down. And I'm guessing if you're an investor and you know you have this, one of the things that you've left it there is because it's expensive to knock it down. So if somebody says, hey, I'll knock it down for you and you keep the property and then you could go build or do whatever you wanted as the owner, it's probably actually a a positive or, or something that they look at um, beneficially. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's, I mean, the the joy on people's face is unbelievable. I mean, people clapping when they see these demolition. I mean, mm-hmm. people smiling, hugging, crying, you know, saying, I've waited 20 years for this building to be knocked down. Yeah, uh, it's a it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and and it's funny how you described each community knows the good areas and the bad areas, right? And and when they live in the community, it's it's the whole idea of like community policing, right? It's yeah. just the people that are there, they know their community, they know the good people, the bad people, the good areas, the bad areas. Um, and when you get their buy in, now what you're doing is you're really empowering those people to clean up their own community, mm-hmm. right? They just don't have the the re- they don't have that truck. 
right? Mm -hmm. They don't have the ability to navigate the courts and the permitting process to be allowed to knock that stuff mm -hmm. down. Um, so, so it's pretty incredible. And you can see why I'm so passionate about it is because these are like the most vulnerable Americans who can't who can't get a truck, who mm -hmm. can't get a tractor to knock down the building. Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I just feel so strongly that we need to go in there and help these people. For sure. Um, all right. So you go from uh, buying up home air conditioning companies, heating companies, uh, knocking down structures to... Uh, that's all charitably, by the way. Oh, the not, you know, that's one thing to point out. The blight stuff is all nonprofit. For sure. And... and Next thing I know, you're on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, you go from uh, essentially non-existent on Twitter to now probably one of the most engaged, largest accounts on the platform. What, just what have you been doing? <laughs> how kind of how did this come about? Where did the Twitter philanthropy um, kind of passion come from? Well, it comes from the same passion as the blight work, which is fighting for those who are vulnerable and taking care of the poor. You know, I've been fortunate to have a lot of money. And um, and a lot of other people have a lot of money, but the way to deploy the money, in my opinion, is so broken in the sense that you have to go through all this rigmarole, you know, you have to fill out all this paperwork. And, you know, you and me being young guys, being of this generation, I'm saying, you know, this is such an amazing thing to be able to give money. How come we're not using technology for it? Mm -hmm. And so I had this idea basically when I was sitting out on my porch in northern Michigan. Well, actually, I'd had the idea for about nine months, to be honest with okay. you. I'd been thinking about giving away money for a long time on Twitter. All right. I mean, why not? Yeah. Well, no one had done it before, so that would be one reason why not. Yeah. Did, did you think that uh, if you started doing this, it would just immediately work? Um, I knew it would get interest, you know, I knew people at first, you know, in my businesses, what I've been able to be successful at is getting people outside of, and again, I don't mean to bring it up again, but I feel very passionate about it, mental prisons, because mm -hmm. I believe so much of you know, what we think is, you know, not able to be done is just how we're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I knew that people would be in their quote unquote mental prisons mm -hmm. when I started to put out that money was there, right? Mm -hmm. People were thinking, oh no, you know, Twitter is, you know, an organic place, you know, it has to, you know, it has to be based off of this or it has to be based off of news. So I knew it would change the paradigm. I guess I just didn't know how much of a, you know, nerve it would hit. For sure. And um, do you remember the first thing that you did? What, do you remember how much you gave? Or, yeah, or 10 the, grand. 10 grand. Okay, yeah. so the first one is, hey, I'm going to give out $10,000 yeah. uh, to whoever. Says, says the best cause or something like that. Got it. And okay. it went viral immediately. And, and what was the cause? Uh, well, I ended up giving it to veterans. That's actually how I met Code of Vets, which is this great veterans organization that we work with. Got um, it. And, so. and the reaction to that first one, are people, I'm assuming that there's plenty of people who hey, I got a cause, right? They're kind of, um, you know, very receptive to this, but there's also probably folks who are uh, less receptive. Maybe they are um, a little measured in, the, you know, what's the catch type mm -hmm. situation or mm -hmm. what's his angle? Did you see that at first? Or yeah, was it? I still see it. I mean, I would say that our society has gotten to a point where like, if I say, Pomp, I love you. Mm -hmm. And if I genuinely mean like, I love you, mm -hmm. um, you know, not only do you probably get goosebumps and it feels a little bit uncomfortable, but that's what we've come to expect, expect out of society. We can't say love you to anybody anymore, mm -hmm. you know, and, you're, and if you say I love you, then it's like, well, what what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> well, we were all raised. I mean, at least I was and, and many people were raised to, you know, to love one another. And mm -hmm. so all I'm trying to do is get people to love one another. And, you know, I'll tell you, um, 
while I do get sad sometimes to see how some people respond, one of the patterns that I've noticed is that the people who aren't happy with what we're doing, first of all, nine, and you know, my opinion is, you know, 99% of people like it. The, mm-hmm. Let's call it the 2% who don't are the people who either didn't get the money, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, they didn't get the money or number two, they're not dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. They don't have their teeth falling out mm-hmm. They're They didn't just have their son, you know, literally blow off their head because he came back from Afghanistan with PTSD, mm-hmm. you know? So, so in terms of that, I don't really care. You know yeah. what I mean? That's one thing that I think is good about me is I don't really care what people think. I just want to get the job done. I, um, I want to talk a little bit uh, before we get into like the hardcore philanthropy stuff, just about Twitter in general first. Yeah. And, and um, a lot of people ask me, you know, hey, how do you grow your account? How do you you know do all this stuff? And I think you've done it better than, than anyone. Um, and one of the things I tell them is uh, you have to have really thick skin, right? Or, or you have to not care what people say um, because the detractors or the, the folks who have a negative viewpoint will be the loudest. Right. And, and I, I do think that if you look across a lot of these um, large accounts on Twitter and other platforms as well, but specifically Twitter, because it's so conversational, they have really, really thick skin and they're able to just kind of roll right through the, the detractors and, and not let it face them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Embarrassment uh, is often um, a mental prison that we create. And, you know, the only way to not be embarrassed, in my experience, is to actually embarrass yourself, to put yourself <laughs> through, you know, bad feeling through feeling crappy. Um, but once you do that, you come out the other side and you come out pretty good. So yeah. I actually, you know, I, sometimes I'm a human, I mean, obviously I'm a human being, so sometimes I get angry. I find that I'm happier than I've ever been. I've generally always been a happy person, but this has just made me, I mean, very happy. It's wow. quite incredible. Well, when you give, you receive. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I knew it intellectually. I knew it because I had been raised by my grandfather in part who, you know, gave hundreds of millions of dollars away. uh, And he did so privately. Um, Toward the end of his life, he gave away a building publicly to try to inspire others. That's what actually helped jumpstart this whole thing. Mm -hmm. But really, until I started giving, uh, did I not fully appreciate how much giving, how how good giving felt. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we run around every day and, you know, we're all focused on, oh, you know, my thing is the most important thing and we're all caught up in our own heads. And, you know, if we just step back for a moment and we look at things and we focus on other people, uh, it's amazing what can happen. Your whole life transforms when you start to give. For sure. Um, on that topic, we, we've previously talked about this idea of kindness and generosity being a viral product, right? When, um, you know, you say, hey, look, I saw my grandfather do something. It, it was inspiring to, to do it yourself. Um, I think that that's an element of what is uh, kind of caught the lightning in a bottle, if you will, on Twitter with Twitter philanthropy is um, people see you giving and it inspires them to want to be kinder, to be more generous to people. Um, do you get the sense that uh that's playing out in the real world or do you think it's more kind of people tweeting about it but maybe not actually putting it into action oh no they're putting it into action i mean the the vast majority of what we're raising now is from you know other people hundreds thousands of people doing it i mean i say i'm only one person you know bill pulte i mean yeah can i give millions of dollars away you know throughout my life and these type of things fine but i'm just a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of the whole need of the world Mm -hmm. And so for me, what's interesting is getting literally 
tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people to give. That's when the numbers start to get really big. Mm -hmm. And you see me doing these giveaways and everything, and I communicate this with my followers, who I call teammates, because they are my team. And I say to them, look, I'm going to use my capital to help grow our follower base, to help grow our team. Um, but I really need all of you guys to step in to be able to back me up in terms of these individual causes, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I do contribute to some of these causes. But but again, the, the, the thing that I'm mostly focused on is how can I invest tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of my dollars to build this platform of kindness and generosity? Yeah. And part of it, what you're talking about, so let's, let's dive into the mechanism, right? Essentially, uh, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I'm going to give everything from, I think I've seen $100, $500, 1000 5000 10000 I'm going to give a car, right? All these different things. Um, you're essentially putting a carrot out in the world, right? And you're saying, spread this message, right? Retweet this message to as many people as possible and there's a waterfall uh, effect to it so there's a bunch of people who see the tweet right i mean many of these tweets have gotten 50 100,000 retweets um then some of those people go and say hey who the hell is bill pulte right why is he giving out ten thousand dollars right um they go and they check the uh your account or they go and, and they uh follow you and they start to build this and what they realize is this isn't a one-time thing Right, you're actually doing it on a consistent basis, and, and you really are pulling all of these people into um, this Twitter philanthropy uh, movement or community. The part that becomes interesting to me is it's not just tweets about, hey, I'm gonna give $10,000, right? My favorite ones I think that you've done are when you share like a GoFundMe page. And you can, Those are my favorite too. And, and you can see what you've really done is you've created a fire hose of traffic of like-minded people who want to be kind, who want to be generous, and who want to support And who want to feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the biggest things I think of this movement. And, you know, it's it's nice talking with you about it because I haven't thought about all these things. I just do more off of viscerally and instinct. But, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about this is that people – are looking after others, but they're also looking after themselves. And they're realizing that mentally, you know, especially today's day and age where, you know, so many people are in antidepressants and these type of things. And, and we need those because there are some people who have some serious real issues, chemical issues. But, you know, we've, we've, and this gets back to some of the mental thinking is, you know, we've been so focused on, you know, uh, ourselves that sometimes that can be toxic to our own brains. And so, you know, when we're focused on ourselves and when we're internal and these kind of things, um, it actually is a pathway to make us unhappy. And so by focusing on other people, what you quickly discover is that you actually internally feel a lot better and your mental psyche. And again, I'm not giving anybody advice. This is just, you know, my experience, one guy, how it feels. And I see other people, too. But mentally you know, psych wise, you just, you, you feel a lot better. I, 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 you know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and part of it, so let's dive into some of the stories of people that you've helped. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the big ones was, uh, there's a gentleman who, uh, you guys gave a car to, mm -hmm. right. Maybe talk a little bit about who he was, why he needed a car and kind of how you put together, um, getting him from, I need a car to now I got a car. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that the veterans are so important. These people go over there, they fight, and they come back with scars and not scars. Uh, and in these cases, uh, people hear these veterans who you know went over there and maybe didn't have enough time to get ahead, 
and you know they need a little bit of help so you know one of the veterans that we helped was a homeless man great guy had a good job was working in, was living in a transition home so he had a home uh, but he didn't have a way to get to work and so we got him a brand new car great guy um, that was a big one another story that you know I think is so impactful because it just gets back to thinking better and feeling better is a lady named Karen she's out of Minnesota and in June I believe she was given six months to live and she has lung cancer she was part of that whole Aaron Brockovich asbestos thing she drank something in a well or I don't, I don't totally know the whole story but she was given six months then she has four months to live this in last week we raised her eight thousand dollars you would have thought this was like you would have thought she was like a seven-year-old you know getting christmas presents at santa claus she said she said you know that she was singing and dancing in her kitchen and she was happy this is somebody who has four months left to live mm -hmm. and and she's looking at life like oh my god you know this is amazing and, mm -hmm. and these people love me and they care for me hundreds of people donated to her GoFundMe. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the power of the movement. That's the power of what we're doing. And that's truly authentic. You can't replicate that. You can't fake that. You can't do that. I mean, that's somebody who has, I mean, it doesn't get worse. I mean, in my opinion, you know, unless you're dying right now, but you know, to be given four months left to live and to know that you're dying. I mean, she, she can't even be on the phone with me except she coughs so much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are the stories. I mean, we raised another, you know, we raised, you know, I put it out last night to raise three grand, I think, for somebody. And I think she got like five plus grand, a mm -hmm. lady who's terminally ill with brain cancer. Mm -hmm. that, that's how, how do yeah. you source these? Like, like, how do you decide who uh, you're going to share? Which stories are, uh, are real and, and worth sharing versus um, the hundreds of people who are asking for help? But, you, you know, you just can only help so many people. My teammates are the best. And when I say the teammates, you're always going to get the scammers out there and these kind of people. But the teammates are people who are good Americans, good human beings who just want to help other people. And what they'll do, Pomp, is they'll tweet out at me. And I read a lot of things. I mean, I you know, a lot of people say, oh, and they say it all the time in my messages. Oh, I doubt you'll read this. Well, I read a lot of those. <laughs> but I get a lot of these stories. One of the amazing things are reporters, reporters at the local news stations. They'll tweet something out. One of my one of my followers, which I call teammates because they are teammates, will do their job, which is to basically scout for this thing. Boom, they'll pick something up and then I'll run with it. Um, like last week, there was a situation in Detroit where a, a girl who was nine years old was mauled by dogs. These dogs just attacked her and she was riding on her bike. She was nine years old. And so, you know, I saw that one of my one of my followers teammate uh sent it out and boom i posted it and within you know minutes the thing was was skyrocketing yep. so it's 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 getting these needs and then you know communicating that to people it's, it's really what you're doing is you're amplifying the people right you, you said in the beginning of kind of giving a voice to these people who voice to the voiceless uh, yeah they, they they've they've done everything they can to try to get help in the sense of um they've explained what the cause is they've put it on something like a gofundme etc uh and then you kind of come along with really rocket fuel right and you're able to take that and put it in front of the people who actually want to help and, and are interested in it um are you worried about getting scammed like are, are you worried about uh somebody says hey i need help and it ends up not being real or, or how do you kind of look i've said that? that you know everybody needs to do their own due diligence and they need to do their own due diligence but from my perspective just speaking in my own opinion you know if i can help 90 percent of the people and i'm not saying it's that number but if i can help 90 percent of the people and i get scammed 10 percent of the time i'll do that all day long because that's that's 90 percent 
people who we helped that otherwise wouldn't have been helped. Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of my general psychology on it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I utilize my other teammates. Many of these teammates, I mean, Pop, it's unbelievable. I mean, I've got teachers who have day jobs who come home and they want to work on this and they vet issues. Mm -hmm. And yes, we found scams before. We've, you know, seen that people have multiple GoFundMe's. So, mm -hmm. you know, as much as we can, we try to do, but everybody needs to do their own homework. For sure. Um, and, and then how do you select, right? So when you do one of these, hey, I'm going to give a call or I'm going to give $10,000, whatever it is. Uh, and these things, I mean, when I talk about going viral, some of these tweets go more viral than when movie stars tweet and stuff, right? I mean, we're, we're talking 100,000 retweets. Um, you've got to be talking about, you know, millions of impressions, if not tens of millions of impressions. How do you pick who to give it to? Well, we're going to be sharing all of that soon so i don't want to get ahead of myself there okay. but um you know i would say that what's been so exciting has been that people who are participating in these things the best ones are where people say you know what i wanted to win money but now i don't even care about the money mm -hmm. i just want to start being a part of this whole thing and that's when i know that what we're doing is is it's pretty special. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think that goes back to the idea of the kindness and generosity being viral, right? It, it, it literally is uh, inspiring that there's a, um, a Twitter account. Um, I'm going to forget uh, who it is, unfortunately. Um, but I've seen them tweet at you and say, hey, you inspired me. I'm not going to give out dollars. I'm going to give out some Bitcoin. Right. And, yeah. and they've literally started to, um, it's not a lot, right? hundred bucks, $200 That's here a lot. there. Um, but to the right person at the right time, that can be pretty impactful. $5 is a lot. Mm -hmm. $5 changes people's lives. You've, I think twice now offered to give a Bitcoin versus uh, fiat. What's the attraction to Bitcoin? Is it just, hey, there's people in that community that, that are uh, interested in receiving a different currency, or is there some other kind of uh, understanding or, or attraction to it? Skirt, skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right, crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, motherfucking mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell him Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit Crypto.com. Pomp's got you always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry. Your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you got to do is go to coinmine.com, you buy a coin mine, it's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right, you purchase it, it shows up at your doorstep, you pull it out of the box, you plug it in, connect to your Wi-Fi, five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide, and then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just you're updating your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them Pomp set you, and thank me later. One more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds, so you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today.
This movement is about being decentralized and being dependent on hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. It's organic. Um, it's whatever direction people want it to go. It's not mine. It's theirs. It's 100% flexible. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I think that's very representative of cryptocurrency and, mm -hmm. you know, Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin, you know, and you know more about this than me, but, you know, it's really dependent on, you know, the various nodes and the various, you know, uh, people who are participating in it. The network is what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Twitter philanthropy, the network is what makes Twitter philanthropy. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I, I very much subscribe to the idea of, you know, the power is with the people and the power should be with the people. Um, and I think, you know, in many ways, cryptocurrency does that. I'll give you another example. In many of these situations with many of the people who are helping, some of these people don't have bank accounts, mm -hmm. specifically <laughs> in the inner cities uh, in, in the United States where we've done a lot of good work. You know, many people. Um, good hardworking Americans, they don't have bank accounts. Mm -hmm. And so what Cash App and, you know, PayPal and Stripe and these things, they do is they allow people who are literally broke or in crisis situations to be able to get it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, long term, you know, there needs to be a better way to get resources to these people. And I think cryptocurrencies is know one of those ways it's kind of potential yeah um you, you mentioned the cash app which obviously has uh, done a great job facilitating people buying bitcoin but also um for something like this where it is uh sometimes very urgent right where somebody literally will tweet at you and just say hey i need, I need groceries bucks. yeah right. and the cab ride on the way over i was talking to the cab driver and i said excuse me sir one second because i'd seen some lady said she needed groceries and i sent her you know some money for groceries right Absolutely. there and you're, and you're able to do it just on the cash app they yeah. literally just give you their cash tag right yes and uh you can fire it out um and then obviously it's very effective when you can then also say to others hey here is the address right it, it, it kind of uh, circumvents the legacy banking um infrastructure that again it works for a lot of people, but for some people it doesn't. Well, think about if you wire money or something like that. I mean, how long does that take? <laughs> a little while. Uh, you know, so I think we're just in the infancy here. I think we're in the first inning. For sure. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is uh, the amounts of money, right? Everyone can get excited about the, the $10,000, the car, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the ones to me that feel like they are the most impactful are that hundred dollars for groceries or the, you know, um, th there was a gentleman who, uh, he didn't have teeth or he had bad teeth. Right. And I think that you guys basically helped, um, him get new teeth. Yeah. Right? You it's, saw that yesterday, right? You see yeah. the before the guy having no teeth. And then after, you and, know, and by the way, he's got a smile in terms oh, of that, that, that you've never seen a smile like that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you can't you pay just, for a smile like that. Yeah, it, it, it's incredible. Um, or, or the, you know, probably my favorite story. And by the way, that guy was in almost like becoming a recluse, mm -hmm. good looking, handsome guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, didn't even have self-confidence to go out because, you know, he didn't have teeth. teeth. Yeah. And boom, 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 you know. These, Absolutely. You know, people from all over the place donate money and he's got teeth. Well, and, and part of it is, um, yeah, there's these shows. I, I, I think one of them was on like MTV or something where uh, they essentially go and, and they're doing it from a very kind of superficial made for television type thing. But they go and they find, you know, the nerdy looking guy or girl and they give them a makeover. Right. And the whole point of the show is essentially you can literally see this person go from uh, not a lot of self-confidence and, and kind of down on their luck uh, simply by changing their clothes, their appearance, their haircut and you know, all these things to now somebody who's full of confidence, ready to tackle the world, etc. 
there's an element of that play, at play here, right? So the easiest example is, hey, somebody didn't have teeth, now they have teeth. But you also see that just in simply somebody saying, somebody else in the world was willing to help me. Now I should turn around and, and, and do that. And then you can see the confidence level of some of these people really increase and, and they become bolder and more ambitious almost. That's right. I couldn't have said it better. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's almost like we're creating like a, in some cases, a mentor system, you know, where people, you know, they have it traditionally. I don't care who, who, you know, who's successful. Everybody who's successful has had a mentor or somebody who helped them get there. And in many ways, what our community is doing is, you know, these community members, and this is what I'm most proud of. I don't give a damn about my tweets. What I get most pumped up about in the morning is seeing the different teammates interacting with other teammates <laughs> and taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's why I do these giveaways and all this other kind of stuff to see People helping people. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how to say it. It, it, it um, the other day we were talking before we started recording. Uh, you literally tweeted out just, "Hey, send me a picture of where you are this morning." Right? I mean, just a really, really simple tweet. There was no kind of uh, hook. and people got to know each other that way. I read through the comments and I saw people who everything from. Uh, you know, my kids are awake and they kind of took a selfie and, mm-hmm. and sent it all the way to somebody saying, you know, I'm, I've got X issue and other people, right? You know, I don't know if it's because they think you're not going to see it or, or what it is, but they step in. I, and yeah, I see a lot of those and I like a lot of them. Yeah. Right. Um, the, the other piece of this is uh, my favorite story by far is the guy who had been uh, in incorrectly incarcerated mm-hmm. for, I think it was like 20 plus years. 28 years. Right. Uh, he got out. We got him a car. You guys, we gave him a down payment for the car. Yep, and and when you guys saw the story, you basically were able to rally behind it. And um, the video he created mm-hmm. afterwards, the appreciation and kind of um, the thing that stuck in my head was uh, here's somebody who has every right uh, and, and to hate. Yeah, just, just to hate everybody, right? I was locked up. I was locked in a cage for twenty something years for something that I didn't do. He couldn't have been more positive, yeah. couldn't have been more um, kind of uh, his outlook on life, couldn't have been more enviable because he realized I've got a new lease on life. Yeah. Right. And obviously you guys helping with the car um, kind of gets him off on the right foot so he can go and, and, and kind of live the rest of his life. Yeah. That's the beauty of the Twitter philanthropy movement right there. And who knows where this thing will go. It could be totally donezo. But if I have anything to do with it and my teammates, I hope it'll keep changing lives like that. For sure. That's that's what gets me out of bed at night or in the morning and going to bed at night thinking, you know, damn, that was a pretty good day. For sure. I mean, we're changing lives every day. It's, it's insane. It, it, it is incredible to watch simply because I think the feedback loop on the impact, right? I think a lot of people when they Have you donate, donated yet? Huh? I, I've actually done twice now. Uh, what I've done is I've donated uh, subscriptions to a newsletter I have. Okay, because we need, we need guys like you to start, you know, doing it. We're getting a lot of people on well, board. Well, so he, here's my logic behind... Uh, you know I hit him up for some money get, while I was here. <laughs> a true fundraiser. Yeah. Um, well, you know. I... I uh, we'll talk later. I've got some ideas of things that we can do, but I'm only going to give out Bitcoin. I'm not going to give out a. Fiat. That's fine. But the hey, my my pillow CEO Mike Lindell called me. He says, "Hey, I want to I want to help," and uh, called me last night. And uh, I said, "Well, what can you give?" And he says, "Well, what do I give?" And I said, "Well, I said let's put it this way: two pillows is better than one pillow. <laughs> Ten, <laughs> Ten pillows is better than one pillow." 
Yeah. And so he gave 10 uh, mattresses. So so I pumped out that tweet this morning, and well, well, uh, so that he, was kind of him. Here, here's my thing is I probably more than you, and I, and I actually agree with your mindset uh, around the, um, you know, hey, somebody can get scammed, are they not, whatever. Uh, in the cryptocurrency world, there's a little bit more sensitivity to yeah, it. Yeah, because they had that whole whatever the, happened. They've got these bots and all this stuff that, that go on. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. And, yeah, of course. Um, and, and so my whole thing is, can you basically give out education, right, it is kind of one of the things. But what I've talked to even some of our founders, and, and we'll talk about it when we get done recording, is uh, they have products, right? Um, and can they give huge discounts? Can they give the products away, right? Can they do things that, again, you don't have to take somebody from a really, really dire situation to the richest, most successful person in the world, but giving somebody a helping hand at the right time can be the most impactful thing in the world, right? And I think that's really kind of the- And I'm trying to get companies to do that. What's very important to me is that companies do it for the right reasons, Mm because you know there's a lot of people looking for free publicity and stuff. That's that's not what we're interested in. If Mm -hmm. if a company's really willing to help, and I know my teammates feel this way, we'll take all the money and all the capital there, but they gotta have the right intent. For sure. Um, before I get into, uh, we, we crowdsourced a ton of questions yeah. for you. So, so we'll get your into those tw- your in Your tweet a was like, yeah. <laughs> what, what, um, what can people do to help, right? When, you, when somebody says, hey, how can I help? Uh, what is kind of the best way for them to do that or where can they go? You know, the best way is for people to just um, get involved, start retweeting. You know, the other thing is if you can't give money, you can give kindness. You know, I posted something yesterday. I feel pretty strongly about this. When we look at a homeless person, often sometimes we can say, oh, you know, that person needs booze or crack or, you know, drugs or those kind of things. And that makes us feel good in the moment to be able to judge that person. Or we look at them and we just put our head down and we're, you know, pretend that they're not there and we just do that. When we do that, we actually harden our heart. And when we harden our heart, it feels good momentarily. But what happens is that builds up and piles up and makes us unhappy. And so what I say in terms of Twitter philanthropy is that, you know, even if you can't give money, you can give kindness. Mm -hmm. And I keep saying this thing about like, and, and, and I don't mean to make it simple, but I believe it is simple, which is if you give, you receive. And so if you smile at the homeless person, as opposed to, you know, any other thing you can think about, um, you're going to receive and you're going to be happier. And I, I was stopped in the airport on, on the way today. A guy tapped me on the shoulder, you know, and this is happening a lot now, too. This is how you know the power of the movement. And he's saying, you know, you've absolutely, you know, you've actually changed my life. I said, no, you've actually changed my life. And he says, you know, we are giving. And he goes and he goes, we're just being kind, mm-hmm. you know, and that's. That, I think, is more beautiful than the money. I mean, yes, the money is good because you're able to go and get the guy new dentures and those kind of things. But to me, the kindness and, and, the, and the fundamental lifestyle changing is what's most interesting. Well, th- there's science to back this up, right? So, so I need to look into that, by the way, more. So I mean, I know you, that, but, you know, I need to, you know, I got to be careful what I put because it's got to be, you know, completely I'll give you there, two, two starting points at least, right? The first is um, there was a study that was done, uh, we'll try to put it in the show notes, that basically uh, when somebody wakes up every day, if they read three positive headlines, and at the end of the day, they are asked, did you have a good day or not? It is a material percentage uh, change that they are likely to say, yes, I had a good day versus if they wake up and they read three negative headlines. Yeah. So just being exposed to positive versus negative information at the end of the day, hours later. This politics will make you go crazy. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, and Twitter and politics will make you go crazy. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the thing is I filled the void for people not having to look at negative crap all day long. Mm -hmm. it, for sure. Well, and they want to interact with each other because it's positive stuff that they're that they're able to interact with and get to know people. Not well, just look at, you know, CNN or Fox News saying this or that, you know. The world is ending. <laughs> Something like <laughs> the, that. The second um, study is uh, around smiling, yeah. right? So uh, there's a bunch of research into uh, one of the ways that you can um, control your, your mentality and uh, kind of your, your own uh, mental state is uh, when you wake up in the morning or if you're going through a bad you know time at work or whatever, stopping and just smiling for I think it's like 10 or 30 seconds they've shown can actually change the chemistry in your brain and take you from having a bad day to cool. um, something that that's more positive I believe it yeah well and, and it goes to your point about just seeing people giving right being participating in that and, and exposing yourself to um, the positivity I think is uh, it has benefits that aren't just around hey I gave money to somebody yeah right it can actually improve your life or as you say when you give you get you do <laughs> right it's the best kept secret you know I mean you know we're here on Wall Street and I'll tell you most of my friends on Wall Street some of whom I'm meeting today you know they're most impressed with what's going on here because mm -hmm. you know they're also human beings and you know Money and having money and being rich, these things in many ways make life a lot easier. But if you're not careful, it can hurt you. For sure. Who, uh, who's been the most inspiring person to you? Probably my mom and my grandfather. Why, why each of those? Well, I think I got my more compassionate side from my mom. <laughs> uh, my mom's an amazing person. And uh, I love her dearly. And um, my grandfather because he taught me how to think. He was a tough German, though, so he was awfully tough. But my mom gave me my compassionate side. My, my dad and my grandfather, both of them, gave me the business side. My grandfather really taught me how to think. Yeah, that's awesome. Differently. What, what, um, what's the highest point in your life and the lowest point in your life? Uh, that's a great question. Probably the lowest was when my parents got divorced when I was 12. Mm -hmm. That was very difficult, um, you know, seeing your dad leave the home and whatnot. And then I had to uh, look after my mom and my sister. Um, the highest point, I would say, is probably what I'm doing now. I mean, I've had some great experiences. You know, the first million dollars that I made was big. Uh, the first $30 million I made was big. But um, this is more rewarding than anything I've ever done. I mean, yes, it's with one tweet, but I worked my butt off to even get it to this size. I mean, I know it seems you know easy to give away money, but you know some really good content that we're also producing here. I mean, we're we're making sure that we connect humans using technology. Mm. You know, people have never used audio and video before to do these type of needs. Some people said, and it's so funny because it's all the people who either don't get the money or it's people who already have teeth, aren't dying of cancer or whatever. They say, oh, well, how dare you embarrass so-and-so and so-and-so? And automatically my teammates jump on this person and say, hey, look, you know, if you didn't have teeth, you sure as hell would make a video because you know that that's the way to get other people to, you know, instantly, you know, mm -hmm. understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. It's humanizing. Right. It's humanizing the, the problem and really showing that um, there's real people who have real issues. And, and we all have help. issues. We're all right. suffering. Every yeah. human being, every human being in this room is suffering with something. Right. Absolutely. All humans are suffering and some suffer more than others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what this is doing is getting people back to, you know, feeling that suffering for somebody else. It goes back to the homeless man. You know, we can intellectually think, oh, I got to turn that person off. 
or we can commit our heart to them. I mean, it doesn't mean that we need to, you know, go and buy them stuff or, or whatever, but mm-hmm. why can't we smile at the homeless person? You'll be a lot happier. Mm-hmm. Where is this, where, where is our world come to? We don't even talk about this stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. One, one of the uh, topics that was, uh, I mean, I popular. put out a tweet over the weekend that I give 10 grand for a veteran who is missing. And, you know, that is great, but, you know, that's the kind of stuff that it takes. I mean, we're trying to get the media and many of my teammates say, don't even worry about the media, but I love the media because, you know, I'm a journalist at heart, but, you know, we're trying to get the media to start spreading some good news. And I actually think a lot of the media will spread good news. Mm -hmm. I mean, the journalists, I've really seen a lot from journalists willing to spread good news. You're going to love this. I'm going to send you the uh, the studies on this. Positive news actually goes more viral than negative news. Is that right? So a lot of, a lot of people think, you know, hey, they chase headlines and ambulances, and, and it's kind of the doom and gloom is uh, what they put. Um, but there's a number of studies uh, that, that show, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, et cetera, uh, positive news actually spreads faster uh, and more virally That's than, cool. uh, than the negative stuff. Yeah. Um, the poverty cycle. Lots of people were asking about uh, this idea that, um, and it goes back to some of the blight stuff and, and, and um, I think just the environment that people get put into uh, when they're born, breaking the poverty cycle uh, can be a inflection point, not just for the one person who uh, is the person who kind of breaks out, but it can actually pull entire families out of the poverty cycle. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about how you think um, you know, various things you're doing or, or others are doing can, can really help to, uh, to break that poverty cycle. Well, we have you know Social Security, we have uh, Medicaid, we have different government programs to support individuals. Uh, we have food stamps, we have various forms of welfare. One of the things about what we're doing in terms of, I don't even know if you'd call it crowdfunding, but I call it more team giving, a team donating, is um, really getting people who are uh, able to help people out of poverty and very quickly. So, for example, like, you know, get, you know, a homeless family, getting them a home, right? That's a big deal. Um, getting uh, somebody who doesn't have a car, getting them a car. Mm-hmm. So I think that what we're doing can help solve many aspects of poverty. You know, as I understand it, and I need to go back and study more of it, I've studied enough to be dangerous, but, you know, back in the day before all these programs, you know, the communities took care of each other. Communities took care of people. And that's really what we're trying to get back to here. We're not, we're not waiting for government to come and help. Mm-hmm. We're just getting it done. For sure. How do you think about the difference between giving money versus education or other non-monetary things that could be beneficial? Well, I think everything, anything that you can give is impactful. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in terms of our specific cause, um, you know, in terms of our specific thing, in terms of scaling it and helping the lady with cancer, for instance, she's dying with four months left to live. She just needs groceries and rent because she's out of work, right? So um, there's definitely a need for education, for other things, um, but that's kind of where our focus is right now. For sure. Um, There's a number of questions about managing your time. Obviously, if you are running businesses, right, you've got the uh, inner city blight uh, project going on, uh, and then you are uh, quickly building this massive audience uh, of teammates on Twitter. How how do you manage it all? You just do it. And and when you focus on other people and you love what you do, you get out of bed in the morning. I mean, I've always liked getting out of bed and, you know, knock on wood, I've always loved what I did. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm serious, like, and I know you're in your career, you know, making money and stuff, but um, 
and, and, I'm, and I'm not saying this because I don't need your you know, $5, $20 or whatever, but you will find that if you do donate to these causes, and I'm, and I'm not making any advice to anybody, this is my own opinion about how I would feel, you feel better. I feel better when, when, when I'm actually helping people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't think about, oh, I need to wake up earlier, or oh, I need to catch a flight to New York to come talk to Pomp and go on Fox News, which I'm doing in a little bit. I don't even think about that kind of stuff. I, I'm, I'm excited about going to do it, and, and so that's why. Yeah. What's a normal day look like for you? Wake up at 4 a.m. Why 4? Um, I just, uh, I, I think that I've always woken up early, but recently with this, I don't know why. I just have. And I think, you know, I do almost a form of meditation, almost a form of prayer. You know, we could get in a mindset another day maybe, but, you know, I have a certain thought process in terms of thoughts and how to think creatively and differently. And I find that when I'm with myself for about an hour every morning, you know, I forget who said it, but he said something like, you know, all of man's problems arise because he can't be in a room by himself for 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> and it's very true. And, you know, I can be in a room with myself for an hour, hour and a half, and it, time just goes by so quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where I'm planning out the day and thinking about things. Mm-hmm. So, okay, wake up at four and then what, what do you do once you kind of get get the day going after that time? Uh, shower. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, that confirmed that Bill Pulte does shower. And then, uh, and then I head in. But, you know, what happens is if I get an idea there, because often, and, you know, we all have our form of meditation or prayer, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. when they're driving or when they're doing one of their yep. favorite hobbies, we, we all know showering. what that feeling is like showering. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people get great ideas. And sh- we all have our own thing. But if I get an idea, then, you know, I'll go and do it. The other thing is you just can't plan for many of these crises, like mm-hmm. the girl who gets bitten or gets eaten by these dogs in Detroit, the nine-year-old girl on her bike. You know, I didn't know that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or this this veteran who, you know, hopefully didn't hurt himself in Arizona, oh, struggling with PTSD, you know. So, th- so things like that just pop up or I'll see it overnight. And I read a lot of what's going on in my Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's... Um, I purposely reject Twitter, though. And I tell my teammates this, too. And they're like, wow, I didn't know anybody would ever say that. I say, you got to reject Twitter. This thing will, like, infect you. Like, and I'm not giving any advice. But, you know, you've got you've to set boundaries with this thing. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to do that at night. And I tried to do that in the morning. Uh, I'm laughing because... Uh as you get a bigger and bigger audience, it, it sucks you in, right? And, and what you do is uh, it's self-fulfilling yeah. because the largest, most engaged audiences are there because they know that the person who's running the account is there, right? And so when they right? tweet, yeah, somebody's that. responding, right? And they're yeah. engaging and, and they're uh, creating a lot of content and just all these elements of building a really strong, large, engaged community uh, tend to wear on the person who's running the account. And so um, the, the the advice around, um, you know, what you do for yourself of, hey, I got to put this thing down, um, kind of will, will make it more sustainable over a long period of time. Hmm. How, uh, how do you want to be remembered? Don't know. Don't really care. Um, one of the things that I realized when I made money was that um, a lot of our problems come from overabundance or from conditionings that we have. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like, oh, you know, this drink's too cold or, oh, it's too warm in here or all these other things. So I try to live, I try to die every day. Mm-hmm. I, I try to basically say that, you know, if I die today, and I help these three people, this lady with cancer or whatever, 
And then also interacting with them makes helps it easier to die every day. When you do this positive, you know, news, I won't even call it news, but mm-hmm. and you hear this lady who says she's got four months left to live. Mm-hmm. So that's I, I don't really know. I don't I don't know if I really care. I just want to live a, as good of a life as I can. I love it. Um, one of the people asked, uh, how do you make giving much more cultural among the wealthy? Right. In, in terms of uh, there's a lot of people with a lot of resources and they could give. And some people do and they do a great job of it. But um, how do you increase kind of the cultural expectation or, or, or buy in among those with the greatest resources to help everyone else? What we're doing right now. I mean, and what I'm doing, you know, <laughs> I went out there and, you know, said I'm giving away all this money. And I'll tell you, I mean. I've, you know, I've been on the board of a Fortune 500 company. I'm the youngest director in the Fortune 500. I've been in the biggest business meetings. I've made a lot of money, all these other things. All people want to talk about right now is giving and Twitter philanthropy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. They don't even want to talk about the housing market or my companies or lending me more money or all these things. I mean, I went to a Cubs game with some of these top bankers and private equity guys the other night. All they wanted to talk about was twitter philanthropy so i just think it's we just got to keep doing it we just got to keep giving kindness keep being generous and hopefully it'll pick up i mean we got mike lindell there's there's a half a dozen other quote-unquote rich guys now mm-hmm. doing it on twitter is there uh, is there anyone who you would love to get involved that isn't yet involved i'd love to get uh gates and bill gates bezos and buffett that would be kind of my dream scenario um and i'm working on that mm-hmm. so that's all i can say if, but if we can get them to give out uh, so, some help on uh, Twitter. Oh yeah, I mean, these guys are smart guys, but they're also of a different generation than you and me. Mm-hmm. And I think your generation and our generation and the generation below us, like we know what it's like to be on Instagram and Snapchat and mm-hmm. Twitter and you know, Buffett boom, boom, doesn't boom. even use email, so to get him on Twitter would be a yeah. big step. <laughs> yeah. So, all in due time. Honestly, I, wherever wherever this goes, I'm fine with it. For sure. Uh, speaking of that, where do you think it is six months from now and five years from now? Well, in a year, I'd like to have a million followers. You know, when I say followers, I mean teammates. I don't really want to have them if they're not engaged. Right now, I have a very engaged mm-hmm. teammate base. I mean, the guy this morning, he didn't even say, oh, are you Bill Pulte, blah, blah, blah. He said, the first thing out of his mouth was, are you Bill Pulte? I said, yes. And he says, I'm a teammate. Mm-hmm. As long as we can keep that going and growing, I'd love to have you know more than a million. Mm-hmm. That's where I'd like it to be in a year. It, it, it's um, it's pretty incredible to see. Uh, it, there's a lot of large accounts that there's the aggregate numbers big, the engagement's not. Yeah, there. I get more engagement than people have several million followers. I, I saw a tweet the other day. Uh, you tweeted at 12 minutes, right after uh, before I had seen it. And it already had over 12.5 thousand favorites, which is wow. literally a thousand favorites per minute. Yeah, that's a lot. Incredible engagement, right? Because again, it, it goes, the, the thing that I think about on Twitter is the engagement is nice, but that is a proxy for increasing the impressions, right? Yeah. And so when you're able to uh, increase the amount of the impressions, there's a, there's a huge benefit to it. Yeah. I'm just getting, I'm giving a behind the scenes today to all my, <laughs> all my people. So here and at Fox, this is a pomp and we're doing a podcast. So inside of the Bill, room. Bill, Bill just whipped out his phone and started a video which makes him uh, more of a journalist than he lets on. <laughs> no, it makes me it makes me engaged. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. For See, sure. I don't even think about these constructs. I'm I'm doing this just viscerally and based on instinct. Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, I don't know if we were on air or not, but 
I, I just get these ideas, like the idea about the helicopter and taking that to JFK today. Like, I actually thought about that. Yeah. And like, why not share it with people? Well, it, it's um, at the end of the day, people want authenticity, right? And they want to see the uh, the good times, the bad times, the times where you need help, the times where uh, you overcome an obstacle. Like, there's an element of uh, entertainment uh, around the story, right? And if people... Um, only see the good pieces i think that that's where the jealousy and the envy and a lot of that stuff sets in when there's humanized stories and, and there's much more authenticity i think people are very very attracted to that because it's so rare today yeah right how um and how, each of the stories that we work on are people at their most vulnerable points absolutely so and yeah. together we get bonded over that you know just i think that's innate in humans for sure. Um, before we wrap up, how can people help? Where, where, where do you send Just them? Or, or, or follow, how do you tell them? Follow the feed, retweet, get to know other teammates. I mean, you know, they can be a support network. I've had many people who are, you know, depressed, you know, think contemplating suicide. If you do, if you're thinking about that, please call the hotline and those type of things. But, you know, we have a great support network. We would love to help you. The teammates would love to help you. And just, just follow and retweet. If you can give money, great. I mean, mm -hmm. th that's amazing. So, Absolutely. Well, listen, sir, you, uh, you, you're doing work that I think uh, a lot of people probably look out and they say, hey, that's pretty easy, right? You just give away money, do, do all this. Um, I, I, I know from experience how uh, it can wear on you to have such a large audience and feel like yeah. um, there's there's so many people there and, and, and you kind of have to They're depending on talk you. to them. and do all this and, and then i think that there's an added element of uh you're dealing on a daily basis with people in crisis yeah right? that's the that's the tough thing you go from something terrible to something good mm -hmm. absolutely well from uh from all of those people uh and from me just thank you i, I think what you're doing is, is pretty incredible and it's um i think it's inspiring to people right and obviously we're seeing that in just the the community growth but but also um I, my guess is that there's a lot of people who do positive, generous, kind things on a daily basis offline um, that you and I will never see or know about. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but but uh, it, it's a positive impact on the world. So just from everybody else, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. For sure. Um, and then thank you so much for coming on and doing this. And we'll have to do it again. When you hit a million followers, we're going to bring you back <laughs> right, and, sounds uh, good. and do it again. All right. Look forward to it. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off The Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.